get out your peanuts and Cracker Jacks because baseball is back. After the MLB and the Players Association came to an agreement about the league's minimum salary, the competitive balance tax threshold, and more, the 99-day baseball lockout ended, just in time for the regular season to start up soon. For Arizonans, that means two things, getting to hear the lemonade man shout about your grandma and spring training. The last few years of spring training have been rocky for the Valley. In 2020, games were canceled as the pandemic hit in March. In 2021, a limited number of tickets were for sale in order to control crowds as COVID continued on. And this year, spring training was pushed back due to the lockout. Even now that it's open and players are hitting the field, attendance is down. The Arizona Republic reported that six of the 15 teams average less than 5,000 fans per game. But spring training this year will be extended into April as the beginning of the baseball season was pushed back, so there's plenty of time to still get out to a spring training game. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com where we cover Metro Phoenix and beyond. I'm producer Amanda Luberto, and to honor spring training returning, we'll be revisiting an episode from July 2020. Maritza Dominguez, who was a producer on the podcast team, but now covers the Southwest Valley, discovered the origins of the Cactus League in Arizona. As a lifelong resident to the Valley, I would often drive by spring training stadiums for the Chicago Cubs, or the Los Angeles Angels. I always wondered why we had other teams playing in the Valley. Baseball is often called America's pastime. Arizona's relationship to baseball started well before they even had their own Major League Baseball team. It started all the way back in the 1940s. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm producer Maritza Dominguez, filling in for Kayla White as host this week. Today, we're doing something a little different. In this episode, I'm answering my own question. Why is Arizona home to the Cactus League? Now, the Cactus League is the name referred to all the teams that play in the Valley during spring training. To learn more about this, I spoke with Charlie Vasilero. He's a freelance baseball writer and Cactus League historian. And in full transparency, he's also written for the Republic in the past. Charlie discovered his love for baseball as a young child. I was already a big baseball fan. I think I got bit by the bug by the time I was about eight years old. Uh, when I was nine years old, I was a Mets fan and I lived on Long Island. He found baseball through his uncles. They take him to games and living in New York City, he said he was born into the Mets fandom. Then at age 14, his parents moved across the country. And that was an abrupt and culturally shocking move for a New York City kid to all of a sudden find himself out in the desert. At first, he was unhappy being pulled away from his hometown and the Mets. But then one day on the bus ride to junior high school, he noticed something outside the window. 
said to some kid sitting on the bus next to me, what in the world, what's, go, what's over there? And he says, that's the Cubs. And I said, right, the real Cubs? The Chicago Cubs are right there? He goes, yeah, that's where they have spring training. I said, you're kidding me. And he said, no, it's real. You know, it's, it's March, it's spring. He had no idea Arizona hosted spring training games. As a New York Mets fan, he thought it only took place in Florida, where his home team trained. So the minute he got off the bus, he went straight to the stadium. I didn't even think about going to school that day. I just went right over and hung out there all day and watched the players working out and got into the game and somehow got back home. He did this a few more times until he got caught by his parents. Discovering the Cactus League opened the door to his now career. He said in school he'd always find a way to write about baseball. When I graduated high school and started moving on to college, is when I really started um, pursuing a career as a sports writer and really learning about the history of the Cactus League in earnest. This is how Charlie started to dive into the history of the Cactus League. The story starts with two men, Bill Veck and Horace Stoneham. It's, it's Bill Veck, but it's also Horace Stoneham. And this is a chicken or the egg story because um, Bill Veck and Horace Stoneham, Bill Veck owned the Cleveland Indians and Horace Stoneham owned the New York Giants. Well, they both agreed to move their teams to Arizona, have spring training in Phoenix and Tucson, respectively, in 1947. Now, the story goes whether one guy made the call to the other guy or not, but I think the important part of the story is these were two very like-minded guys and even more significantly, they were progressive thinkers. Bill Veck already had a relationship with Arizona prior to bringing his team here. He owned a ranch in Tucson where he would spend his winters. Around the same time, Horace Stoneham was taken to a place in Mesa called the Buckhorn Baths by a local land developer. So Stoneham was brought there and he sat in these hot springs and really enjoyed the company of the people who owned him. They were very hospitable. And he, they, he was presented with the idea of bringing his team to Arizona in the spring and sitting in the baths and letting the guys kind of stretch out and get warm in the sun. And it just sounded like a good idea to him. So in 1947, Bill Veck brought his Cleveland Indians to Tucson and Horace Stoneham brought the then New York Giants to Phoenix. The Buckhorn Baths would become a place in the 1950s where players would go to relax. So that's how Arizona's Cactus League started. But it just so happens that the Cactus League started at a really interesting point in baseball history. The same year Vec and Stoneham brought their teams to Arizona for spring training, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball. Robinson was also the first in the National League. Soon after, the second African-American baseball player was signed to Bill Vec's team. That was Larry Doby. And he was also the first African-American player in the American Leagues. Everything Jackie Robinson experienced, so did Larry Doby. It was just a couple of weeks later. Robinson gets all the accolades, you know, but basically Doby did, Doby's experiences, you could almost hold a mirror up to it. Then in 1948, Larry Doby came to Tucson for spring training. He became the first African-American major leaguer to step foot on a baseball field in Arizona. For Charlie, it was like baseball's landing on the moon. But it was slow progress. 
when Dolby showed up in Tucson, he didn't even know what he was about to walk into. Uh, the players on the team are all checking into the hotel where they're going to stay for the spring. And he is immediately told, he's there with his wife and daughter, that he's not allowed to stay. Dobie couldn't stay in the hotel, and so he stayed with another African-American family in Tucson. They gave up their bed so that Dobie and his family could stay in Tucson to train. And this would become common practice for the first couple of years of spring training in Arizona. Not only for Dobie and then Satchel Paige to follow in Tucson, The New York Giants also began signing African-American players to their team, including Hall of Famers Willie Mays and Monty Irving. However, they experienced similar situations in Phoenix. If you've listened to some of our previous episodes of Valley 101 about redlining or the history of the Swindlin Inn, you know Phoenix was a segregated city. It was difficult for African-Americans to find places to stay, so they looked in the Green Book. The Green Book was a directory of safe places for African-Americans to visit. In it, they found the Elks Lodge. Here's how Charlie described Monty Irving's motivation for remaining at the Elks Lodge. He moved into those houses. Uh, There were little houses that are still there. And even when the hotel became integrated later, uh, he chose to stay in the same house because he had become such a It became part of his life. He made friends there. He liked going to the Elks Lodge. He liked living in the house. He didn't like being treated like a second-class citizen, which even when they started letting them into the hotel, they still weren't allowed to eat in the dining room. The very presence of influential African-American athletes in Phoenix planted the seeds of integrating the city. Now, this is also, it's a cultural and an economic issue because what happened was when they were excluded from being able to stay at the hotel, the owner of the Giants went to the owners of the hotel and he said, you like this contract? You like the money I bring in here every spring? All these guys and all these rooms we take up and the money we spend? Yeah, because, uh, you know, you don't start letting these players stay here. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pack up and we'll stay somewhere else. So boom, that's how it got, that's how you knocked the doors down. As spring training grew, so did its cultural impact on the Valley. Once the two teams were settled into their respective towns, more teams followed. Next came the Chicago Cubs in 1952. Two years later, a fourth team moved to Arizona for spring training. The league was not called the league, Cactus League, until 1954 when the Orioles joined the league. Um, That's when it got the name because that was the fourth team. Before that, they just were the three renegade teams out there in Arizona playing. But when they joined, when the Orioles joined the league is when the league got its name. Charlie said that 1954 was a benchmark year for the Cactus League teams in another way. The Giants and the Indians, the founding fathers of the league, met in the World Series that year. So that kind of doubled the, uh, you know, Uh, legitimacy, spoke to the legitimacy of having spring training in Arizona in a a big way. The next year, on March 11th, Phoenix held a parade for the World Series champions, the New York Giants. Spring training in Arizona helped expand baseball west. In fact, the owner of the New York Giants got tired traveling back east every season. So the New York Giants became the San Francisco Giants. Horace Stoneham moved the New York Giants 
from New York to San Francisco 10 years after he started having spring training in Arizona. But he, along with uh, uh, Walter O'Malley and the, and the Brooklyn Dodgers, made that move and moved baseball west. Over time, the team settled into the Valley. This is actually one of the appeals to spring training in the Valley, especially compared to Florida. And you could drive 400 miles across Florida, you know, from one ballpark to another. In Arizona, all 15 of the ballparks are within a 30-mile radius, basically. Um, and the, the, the expansion of the league is in direct correlation with the expansion of the Valley itself. This makes it easier for teams to move from one training facility to the next. Today, the annual event also impacts the Valley's economy. I spoke with Bridget Binsbacher. She's the executive director of the Arizona Cactus League organization. One of the priorities of the organization is to represent all the teams under one voice, to work better with the community. We uh, started with having one dedicated point of leadership and contact for the organization. They're also dedicated to tracking the economic impact the Cactus League has on the Valley. Bridget compared spring training to hosting a mega sporting event like, say, the Super Bowl. The big difference is that it happens year after year after year. The organization also partnered with the Arizona State University's W.P. Carey School of Business to do a study every two years. For 2018, the report showed that we generated $644 million in economic impact to Arizona as a result of just spring training. Uh, this same study found that the Cactus League also generated $373 million in gross domestic product. She also said they generated over 6,000 jobs in 2018. The economic impact isn't just towards the teams that come here and play, but it also includes local businesses and the tourism sector. According to the study, it's broken down um, again, that six out of 10 visitors are from out of state. So these are new dollars coming to the state of Arizona. And they're primarily spending these dollars on lodging. The study found that nearly $90 million in a season goes towards lodging. On average, a Cactus League visitor attends three games a season and spends four nights in Arizona. And the average showed in 2018 that they spent $405 per day, according to that study. And many of those visitors don't just stay in the valley. They end up doing day trips up north. I asked Bridget, where are these outside visitors coming from? So we've got people coming from everywhere, but we do have a lot of them coming from the northwest, from the midwest, from Canada. Uh, and depending on what's happening on our team with their players and who the popular players are and what part of the world they might be from, we're seeing visitors from abroad as well. This also made me wonder, what is so special about spring training that brings this influx of visitors? On top of that, what's the purpose of spring training? I asked Charlie this question. I mean, uh, I think the idea of spring training most in its in its most primitive form is the idea that these guys need to lose weight. <laughs> That's the first. You know, they, they run, they sweat, 
Uh, they, they go into the gym and then all, you know, the loosening of the muscles, uh, the stretching out, you know, all the regular parts of baseball, the throwing and the running. For Charlie, spring training is a lot more special than a regular season game. Well, it's way better. <laughs> it's just way better. Its inherent charm is that it is not a major league regular season game, that it is in a smaller ballpark when you can get that much closer to the players, and that it's an exhibition game that doesn't even count in the standings, which lends a, an air, a casual nature to the whole proceeding, that, you know, we're not sweating over the outcome here. We want to see guys do well, and we're rooting for our teams. Bridget also echoed the same sentiment about spring training games. She said on average, a spring training stadium holds up to 10,000 people. Compare that to a normal baseball stadium like Chase Field, where the Diamondbacks play. That holds more than 48,000. So a spring training game is a much more intimate experience with the teams. Kids and fans might get the chance to get an autograph from their favorite player. There are so many different ways to enjoy spring training, and some of it is because you love baseball and you really want to watch the game. And other experiences are strictly social experiences to create gathering experience and just be part of the, the feel and the experience of spring training. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Valley 101. If you heard that episode when it aired, you might remember Maritza mentioning that she hadn't attended a spring training game before. Well, listeners, she let me know that this week she'll finally be able to cross that off her Arizona bucket list. If you have questions about Metro Phoenix, please submit them to our podcast by visiting valley101.azcentral.com. If you're a fan of the show, Please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also support it by subscribing to azcentral.com. You can follow all AZ Central podcasts like Valley 101, The Gaggle, and our newest bioscience show, The Lab, on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. I'm producer Amanda Luberto. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next week.